0: I am going to be reading Psalm 133 this morning, a song of a of David. Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. This is the word of the Lord. People of God, what up? How are we? Good, good, good. Uh, Hey, remember when I used to give that repetitive joke, like, welcome to episode 3126 of the Guide to Gathering? I'm really glad I don't got to do that no more, all right? Uh, Hey, we are on our last week uh, looking at why we are regathering, what is the purpose of the gathering amongst the people of God, and uh, today we're looking at the idea of fellowship. Uh, what is fellowship? Why is this important? Why does fellowship mean so much as we gather together? Now, from the jump, I want to establish the difference between uh, fellowship, community, and friendship. All right, because each of them they, they interweave in and out of each other, but they're also very different as well. And so, community tends to be the group of people that you do life with. In our church context, think your community groups. These are people that you are gathered together with in kind of smaller groups, and it means something to be together as the people of God. We'll talk about this a little bit today, but that's not the thrust of the sermon. And friendship tends to be the individuals that you do life with, normally within the context of your community. So they may be from your community group, they may be from your serving teams, they may be your neighbors or your friends or your classmates or other con- connections, but these tend to be individual relationships. And similarly, we'll talk about this a little bit today, but it's not the main idea of the sermon. For the sake of our discussion, we're going to be talking about the fellowship that happens at the corporate gathering and the importance of it. Now, fellowship, it should happen in community groups. It should happen in friendships. Otherwise, something is not being done right there. And so you should have fellowship in the midst of those. All of these ideas, they interweave in and out of each other. So I don't wanna create an unnecessary delineation here, but for the sake of remembering why we gather, I don't wanna talk about the community that can be found. I don't wanna talk about the friendships that can be had. I don't wanna talk about the teams that we get to do ministry with as we serve Christ together. All of that is good. All of that is necessary. All of that is for another sermon. Today, I wanna talk about the beauty of fellowship, the beauty of being together and what fellowship brings. Now, fellowship, or the root word, uh, the uh, Hebrew and Greek word from which we get the word fellowship from, actually occurs over 60 times throughout the Bible, and so it's important that we understand what this word means, because this isn't just a a cheesy Christian word that we use, right? Like, bro, you wanna fellowship together? Man, we have some good fellowship, which by the way, please don't say that, all right? Actually, you do you. Just know you're getting judged while you're saying that, all right? Uh, but this isn't just a Christianese word. It's actually very important. Throughout the Old Testament, the words, it means united, and it's often translated as uh, compassion. And so it's the idea of united in compassion. In the New Testament, it's the Greek word koinonia, which back when it was cool to name Christian things, cheesy Greek names, there was probably some high school ministries you were a part of called koinonia. Koinonia. I bet y'all had good fellowship at Koinonia, didn't you? Right? That word, uh, the Greek word, Koinonia, it just means communion. That's all it means. And it's where we get the word fellowship from, which means uh, when we call the Lord's Supper communion, this is why we use that word, 1 Corinthians 10, from what we read last week, the chapter before, says that we are communing or we are fellowshipping with Christ, even on Christ, as we do communion with him. And so this idea carries this kind of intricacy. We are all fellowshipping at Jesus' table. That's what communion is. And so this idea of fellowship is this unity and compassion, is this communion with one another. One Bible dictionary that I have says that fellowship is a bond of common purpose and devotion that binds Christians to one another and to Christ. And this happens most naturally and consistently in the assembling, in the gathering of God's people together. When we come together with a mindset to worship God, there's something that happens, as Osagi was just talking about today. It's not a mistake that as I look out, a few of you are already in tears and we didn't even sit under the word of God yet. It's because as we gather, when we hear the people of God sings, it reminds us of something that God is doing even in our own hearts or something beautiful about the unity of the saints together. In fact, you don't have to turn here. We're gonna sit in Psalm 133, but in Acts chapter two, verse 42, there's a beautiful phrase that we usually use for uh, what it means to gather as a people of God. In fact, some of you grew up in high school ministry probably had a ministry called 242 ministry or something whack like that. I ain't calling you ministry whack. That's probably dope, but the name could have been better, all right? But it says, and they devoted. Notice that word there. Devoted is a very, very big word. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and to what? Fellowship. To the breaking of bread and prayers. Are you devoted to this, saints of God? Are you devoted to the gathering of one another? Is this something that you must do that it is necessary for your Christian life? And if so, why is this so important? Why is it more than just kind of going to church to check the box, to feel good as a Christian? What is actually happening here? Well, the text that Emily read for us today is so important. It tees up why fellowship or the assembly, the physical presence of other believers is so necessary and important, not just for the nourishment of our souls, but for the worship of our God as well. Remember, everything we do is meant to worship and to glorify and to honor God, and it's meant to edify us, and fellowship is one of the ways that we see this most clearly as we gather together as the people of God. Notice several things about the text that we read this afternoon already. Firstly, it begins a song of ascents, it says. Now most of us, we tend to just kind of skip over this. It feels like the prelude in some ways, right? It's like the special thanks part of the book that you never read. It's like, first I'd like to give thanks to my husband and my two kids and my editor, publisher. It doesn't seem that important, right? It doesn't seem like it's a part of the book. So you often skip that, and at times you skip the prelude as well and go right to chapter one. However, every single piece of scripture is breathed out by God. All of it is inspired. None of this was written by just man. But all of it was written by the Holy Spirit through men and we see the profitability and the edification of it as we understand it, learn from it, honor it and submit to it. And so that means that this piece must be uh, in there as a purposeful uh, 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 implication of the Holy Spirit as well. So why is this here? Well, the Jewish people, they would once a year travel from all these different villages, all these different towns, all these different places that they were in, and they would come together, and one of the main Jewish feasts, they would travel to Jerusalem together. Now, Jerusalem was up on a mount, so they would literally ascend there together, hence a Psalm of ascents, it says there. They would ascend the mountain, usually from the lower lands, and as they ascended, they would sing this section of Psalms together. It actually started in Psalm 120, ended in Psalm 134, which is right after what we just read this afternoon. And if you go look, each of them starts with a psalm of ascent. So they would start with Psalm 120, they would sing these songs together as they ascended to Jerusalem to worship God together. So you have all of these various people from various locations and various tribes from various cultures all coming together to Jerusalem to meet together to worship God. All of this diversity all of this complexity, and yet there's this one overarching thing that is unifying them, which is the worship of God. Is this not that much more true today? You see, this is glorifying because when we gather together, it shows the diverse beauty of our God. It's unifying because even though we're different, we are under the same banner. We are literally singing the same song. In the same way that they would sing the same psalms together, so we too do not come in, one of us singing Amazing Grace, and one of us singing, hey, it is well with my soul, and one of us singing, Jesus be the center. No, 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 we are all unifying under this idea that Jesus is the center of it all. And we are coming together, though different, though diverse, though maybe even walking in here with different emotional states and and different presence of mind as we are coming in, we are unifying around the person and work of Jesus together. There's something beautiful, mysterious about this. There's something unique that happens when the saints of God, who apart from Christ, would have nothing in common, come together to worship our Christ Jesus, There's something magnificent about this. It is beautiful. We are fellowshipping or we are having communion with one another. And this reminds our hearts and our souls of the power of the gospel and of the work of the Holy Spirit to draw every tongue, nation, tribe, and culture to himself. That's what happens when we are together. This is even exposing the mission of God. We are reminded of why Jesus came to earth, why God sent his son. It was for the redemption of all people. And this can't happen in a podcast where you can't see. You see, when you see your sister singing truth about who God is, when you see your brother serving God and serving the people of God, you are fellowshipping, you are having communion with Christ. There's something beautiful and magnificent that's happening. It nurtures your soul in the way that few other things can if you would receive it. If it means something to you, like communion, like the Lord's Supper, you have to look for it. But once you see it, once you realize the importance of it, it's really hard to then forget the benefits of that. And so we have to behold it. Y'all feel me so far? Y'all with me? Okay, the rest of the psalm continues to just unfold that very idea, how communion, the ascending together, how it glorifies God, how it edifies the soul. Because like the people of Israel, we too come from different tribes and backgrounds and cultures and villages, and yet we ascend together to the greater Jerusalem. We are ascending together to something more beautiful than what is just right before us. They met yearly to offer a sacrifice to worship their God and to be cleansed. We gather weekly to ascend to the greater Jerusalem, not to offer a sacrifice, but to remember the sacrifice that was offered, that we might be cleansed again, that we might find nourishment in our souls, that we might ascend and receive and then come back down off of the mount empowered by the Spirit of God again to do the works of God again and the fellowship we have that is uh, glorifying to God and it sustains our souls. You see, notice in verse one, you see there on the screen that word behold. Look at, stare, be amazed, be in awe. Behold is an action, by the way. That means you have to do something in order to receive the benefit and the blessing that Psalm 133 lays out. It says, behold, the unity of the brothers, that Hebrew word for brothers is actually, better translated, the word family. And so, behold, the family of God ascending together. Like, don't just show up, look. Look at what is happening with the people of God. Look at how the person that you were judging three years ago now has their hands raised higher than you. Realize that God is at work. Realize that you do not serve a fake God or a sterile God. You serve a God who is moving. He's moving in our midst, but you have to behold it. You have to realize the reality of this. You look at, you are amazed at the goodness of God. You see the mystery of his work amongst the brothers and sisters. If you look, this is actually an act of worship, and it encourages your soul Because you see God moving. The psalmist says, uh, behold how good is the next word there. Good is Genesis chapter one language. When God says that things are good, he's essentially saying this is how things are supposed to be. It's operating in the way that God intended it to operate in It's glorifying him. And so the sun, the moon, the stars... The animals, the, the people, day one, day two, day three, God looked and he said it was. Family dwelling together in unity is Genesis one. It is how things are supposed to be, is what the psalmist is saying. So while we may not know it completely in this life, there are very few moments that reflect the beauty of the unity that's going to be hinted at in verse three, life evermore is how the psalm ends, right? Like the gathering of God's people, it is displaying what should have been in Genesis chapter two, and it is displaying what will be in Revelation 21. That's what happens. It is good the way that things should be. I wish I had a few folk with me this afternoon. This is why it does something for your soul, because it reminds your inner image of the fragrance of the garden and gives your soul traces of its future destination. The gathering of God's people. Pleasant is the next Hebrew word there, or the next English word. The Hebrew word is the word naim. It's the same word that's used for a beautifully unified orchestra. And so this is why diversity actually makes unity that much sweeter. Because see, when you have 10 trumpets that are all playing the same thing at the same time, it ain't that beautiful, y'all, right? I don't care how much you like the trumpet. Now, it may be loud, It may be awesome, it may be even really cool, but beauty tends to come in the midst of diversity. It's when you have 10 or 20 or 100 different instruments all playing different tunes and yet aligned under the same banner that you get this beautiful orchestra that does something to your soul. How beautiful and pleasant, how naim is what he's saying. It's like an orchestra when all of these various people are coming together under the same banner. It does something to the soul. It's an awesome picture. This is what God would have for us relationally. A bunch of people that are not like us, playing different parts, but unified with us that we might see through them Christ more and more. I wish I had a few more folk with me this afternoon. Different towns ascending together, singing a unified psalm. That's what we're doing. So much so that it says that they are dwelling together. Notice that word there. Even though this is just a journey, it's almost like they're living together because of how unified they are underneath Christ. It is a journey towards their true home, one that they will one day dwell in. And as we do that together, we too are journeying towards our greater home and dwelling together with one another and with God. May I marinate on that truth some? The importance of fellowship, the communion with each other. Now there's a bunch of other stuff we could chop up here. That word unity within this context is massive. That word uh, how good is what David says is massive in this context, even that word dwell. But I wanna highlight the two analogies that he gives and then kinda draw reminder and application for us. So I would encourage you in your CGs this week, man, chop it up more. Like look at what he's really saying here, the, the depths of these words. Remember, no scripture has been accidentally placed. And when you see the beauty of it and the mystery of it and the foreshadowing of it, it's really hard to think that this was from man. In fact, it's impossible unless you don't understand what's really going on here. You realize it's from God, and all these words are inspired. So I would encourage you to chop it up even more this week, okay? But he goes on to say that family assembling together in unity, in communion, is like the oil on uh, Aaron's beard and the dew on Herman, which can sound really weird for us, right? It's like, hey, what are your Sunday gatherings like? It's like, uh, it's like oil on my pastor's beard and... And wet grass, all right? So a little, a little bit of history here, okay? In Exodus and Leviticus, God commanded Moses to anoint Aaron as the high priest. And what the high priest did was he went before God to offer a sacrifice on behalf of the people. In order to be made right with God, a sacrifice had to be offered. And this shows itself most plainly or most clearly in the person of Christ. When you place your trust in Christ, you gain his righteousness and he bears your sinfulness. And so animals in the Old Testament, they represented the true lamb of God who was to come. In fact, I want to encourage you, if you do not have a relationship with God today, this is the most important part of the sermon because the fellowship that we have is actually, uh, it, it indicates it's necessary that we have fellowship with God first, Because apart from that, we're just trying to fight for commonality, but there's not that much common about us because our sin tends to separate us. But once we find banner under Christ, once we find union under Christ, then there is this fellowship that can be had. And the way you find it is by being made right with God. But in order to be made right with God, you need to have somebody go before you because your sin separates you from God. And because your sin separates you from God, there is no way to get to a perfect God. There is no good enough works that will be enough for perfection. Once you sin once, you are not like God. In order to be in his presence, you must be like God. You need the perfection of someone else. And so Jesus comes and he lays down his life and the crazy mystery, the simplicity, yet the beauty of the gospel is that if you but believe, you receive the righteousness of Christ. This is good news. And for all of us who have placed our faith in Christ, we said, yes, I want relationship with God. I want to be cleansed from my sin. This is what is happening. There is a substitution. He takes our sinfulness and he gives us his righteousness. And this is what was being represented in the Old Testament. This is what Aaron would do. The high priest would go before God to offer the sacrifice. You see, not just anyone can go before God to make a sacrifice for sins, by the way. Only the high priest could. And so when God told them it would be Aaron, this was a huge event. It was a ceremony. It was a rejoicing unlike anything that they had seen. They took this anointing oil, and they poured it down Aaron, and it started on his head and it ran down his beard, and it ran down his robe, and it ran down to really cover his whole body, representing the blessing that covers all of us. You see, Israel, they would rejoice greatly in this moment because without a high priest standing before the Lord on your behalf, how do you know whether or not your sins are forgiven? How do you know whether or not you are accepted by God? How do you know a right sacrifice or a right offering can be made? If if you are too sinful to come into the holiness of God, then how can you know without a high priest? And so when they initiated Aaron, this would have been one of the sweetest things in the world to the Israelite people. Now, draw the parallel, and I think that you'll see something that almost sounds like blasphemous. David is relating fellowship and unity to having a high priest. What? Right? Like, like isn't our relationship with God the most important thing in the world? And yet here comes David saying that it is like this. Now notice, he's not saying it's more important. Look at that word there, it's important. He says it is like the high priest. It is paralleled with them. Us being made right with God is one of the most wild things on earth. It is a grace undeserved. Like it, maybe even secondary to this event is us being made unified, being made right, connected with other individuals. This is a sight to behold, It is wild, it is an undeserved grace. It is not good for man to be alone, Genesis chapter two tells us. And so church is one of the greatest expressions of reversing the not good that the fall expanded. I wish I had more folks with me this afternoon. Mm -hmm. As the people of God comes together, there is something beautiful that happens. You see, isolation, Satan thrives off of creating that in your life because there's something beautiful, unique, special. It is like salvation itself when the saints of God are unified together. Haven't you felt this in your own soul? The the importance of the community, the, the way that you see God most clearly, is it not through the benefit and the blessing of other people? It is where we see God move. The gospel does not make you right with God only. It also makes you right with others as well. Love God is the greatest command and love your neighbor. The second is like it, it says. It is like the first. There's something necessary about our hearts to fellowship with other believers. And this should be most clearly expressed in the church. This is when it is a sight to behold It's an edification of the soul, unlike many other things. He goes on to say that it is like the dew on Hermon, like Zion, the mountain of God. Now, we don't have a ton of time for it this afternoon, but this analogy, what it shows is it's refreshing. It's like the dew on the morning that keeps the grass alive. Now, I know y'all don't have that a lot here in Texas, but in Michigan, (laughs) we had dew in the morning, all right? And it would literally, it kept the grass green. And you know, your boys from Detroit. So, there was not a whole lot of grass in my neighborhood, all right? And even if there was, I wouldn't have been going outside in it anyway, cuz we don't go outside barefoot, little fact for some of y'all, okay? But every once in a while, when God reminded me about his creation, when I would walk on the grass in Michigan, I would be like, "Man, this is really soft. I kind of want to like lay down and take a nap on it." I came down here and it was like razor blades on your feet. <laughs> It was still grass, but it was, that, it was just green. That was the only commonality, all right? Because there was no dew in the morning. Relationships, they're like dew in our hearts. They keep the pasture of our hearts alive and rich. In fact, when you do not have it, your heart may look like it's producing grass, but my guess is it's pretty razor sharp. <laughs> Say that. <laughs> Amen? I mean, haven't you felt that? Haven't you done that? Like like when there's no unity, aren't you kind of sharp and bitter towards other people? You see, the unity that Christ is able to bring, it it cracks and fractures the barrier that was fractured at the fall, and it reunifies us with one another, and there's something beautiful about it. It's like the dew on the morning. In fact, look at verse 3. It is where the Lord commands his blessing, life forevermore. Where? With brothers in unity. In Zion, similar to everlasting life, forever life, salvation, brothers in unity, connected to one another, loving each other. In Zion, which by the way just means the place of God, this brings life the way that God designed it. All of this to say, those two analogies say salvation or sanctification and refreshment. That's what brothers in unity means. The family of God in unity, it means your sanctification and your refreshment. That's what should be happening in the gathering. It's one of the greatest benefits of the gospel. It's one of the ways that we experience resurrecting life, one of the ways that we are made more like Christ is to have rich, real, authentic, deep, true community, beautiful relationships. It is why your flesh in Satan tries to attack this unity so much, family, because he knows what it means. It's why so many of you have been hurt by the church, And understandably, you carry so much baggage from this church, but I want you to know that the source of that pain was not the church of God, it was Satan and evil. Now I know it may have been a person that did that, but Satan uses people and he uses our sin, which is why we must fight for unity. Because it means something. Satan wants nothing more than to divide you from Christ. And if he can't win at game one, then he'll win at game two. Divide you from your brothers and sisters in faith. And he will fight and you must fight against that family of God. You must realize that this is the tactic of the enemy he wants to rob you from what glorifies God and rob you from what benefits your soul. And the brothers and sisters dwelling in unity, it is something that nurtures your soul. You have to fight for it. It's the dew on the morning. And so this is the reality of what David is talking about here. And so can I just get real practical on us, like, like, like really, really simple, what does this mean? Why are we doing this? Why are we gathering? What, what, what could we not do over COVID that we can do now? Listen, sometimes the most simple thing, like smiling, is what our soul needs to maintain this hard walk called the Christian life. And at the gathering of God's people, this happens. Maybe I shouldn't use smiling because all these masks right now. Smile with your eyes for the next few months, All right. But listen, week after week, this is what we get to do for one another is encourage each other in Christ. Listen, last week after the sermon, I I got done and I walked off and somebody looked at me and they just said, thank you. And they had these tears in their eyes. And through their tears, I was reminded of the call that God has in my life. And honestly, their tears may have blessed me or propelled me way more than my sermon did for them, or maybe the mutual building up of one another, but this takes presence for it to happen. Like, like I know that that seems small, but I don't think that God was foolish or, or missing the mark when he commanded us to do this. You see, in, in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25, one of my favorite uh, passages of scripture, it says and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together. The same word there, commune, fellowship, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And so COVID or our own trauma or struggle or pain or others' pain, it tries to rob us of this. And sometimes it's the smallest things that catapult our faith to extreme measures. The physical often represents the spiritual, which is why the physical presence matters. There's something that happens when the saints of God are gathered together all singing the praises of God. Fellowship, it glorifies God. It does salvific things in your heart, does it not? In fact, this is random. Live illustrations are usually really bad, okay? So this might be a total dud. Let's just see. I'll try to recover if it is. But how many of you got saved at like a corporate setting, like at church or at a camp or a place where there were a lot of Christians? Can you raise your hands high? Okay, so half the room about, that's what I thought. Because there's something salvific, that happens when the saints of God are gathered together. This is why David is saying, let's do this. You see God most clearly through people, do you not? I mean, think about it, even just in the serving, I remember very, very distinctly when we were back at Campbell Elementary one Sunday morning, I was done preaching and and I was standing there and there was a brother who has uh, a disease. It's a degenerative disease. And it makes it hard for him to, to walk and to fully uh, be coordinated in the ways that, that we would be. And I remember watching all these brothers walk around and some of them were trying to spit game at girls that's way out of their league they would never get. Just keeping it real, yo. <laughs> and I saw all these other people kind of chatting. And here goes this brother who out of everybody in the room would have had the hardest time doing this. He was stacking chairs and I was standing there for a minute because my first thought was you know, I should help him. And for whatever reason, I didn't. Not because I'm like lazy. I ain't saying that. All right. But I was just like watching, and it was awe-inspiring. And then what happened was because of that disease, he tried to stack a chair and actually fell and knocked over all the chairs. And I remember everybody kind of looking, and and like nobody moved to help, which was like one of the biggest heartbreaks for me that day. And I remember thinking at that moment, I don't think I've ever seen Jesus more clearly at the gathering. I've heard dope sermons, I've had great worship experiences, I've been ushered into the presence of God by amazing leaders, but at that moment, when I saw this man laying down his life to do something that seemed so mundane and yet really was serving the people of God, was he not displaying Christ to us? This is something beautiful, and if you behold it, you see it. Now it's really easy to just come, receive, leave, not really do anything, but when you behold, is what David, the the first command that he gives, when you look for it, you are able to see Christ amongst the people of God. Listen, God meets us in the temple. That's what Psalm 133 is highlighting there, ascending together to the temple of God to worship God. We are now the temple of God, meaning that Jesus is with us because when two or more are gathered, so there he is as well. He is with us even this morning, this afternoon. And so you see something beautiful, the Imago Day. And when you see the serving of the people of God, it makes you worship. It is glorifying the Father because it is imaging God. God is in community. There is this fellowship that happens eternally between the Father and the Son and the Spirit. This is one of the mysteries of the cross, in fact, is that at this moment on the cross, it seems like fellowship has been broken so that you and I may be invited in. God has perfect fellowship with himself, and if this is one of the the most basic truths about God, that he's a trinity, three in one, in perfect fellowship, then of course we come alive when we practice it, because you were made in God's image. And because you were made in God's image and his likeness, then when you do things that are like him, your soul comes alive. And he is in fellowship. And of course, the enemy would do everything in his pathetic power to try to divide you from fellowship because it's one of the times that you image God the best and therefore come alive in him. So fight this fool. I got to be real careful talking about Satan because it's like one of the few times I cuss like out loud. And I ain't trying to do that to y'all. I'd be like, oh, shoot. All right? You have to behold it, okay? Listen, and I'll be real with you. The first week back, it felt kind of strange. I forgot how to fellowship. Right? I was like, hey, what up? (laughs) How's your life, (laughs) right? I haven't seen you for a year, right? But this isn't just something that we do. It is worship, it is edifying, it is good. The assembling together to worship God, it means so much. Because fellowship often leads to community, and community often leads to friendship, and that reminds us of eternal life. And you gotta fight for it though, y'all. You gotta fight to fellowship. Listen, one thing that I know for me is that this has blessed me tremendously. Y'all have, as a church body, as we have been fellowshipping together for over eight years now, for me, I have seen God just build into his people these beautiful things. Now, I remember about two years ago, I actually went on sabbatical. And when I was about to go on sabbatical, I was like really scared because I really love the people of God. I thought like, man, what's gonna happen? I'm not gonna see them. And it was only eight weeks, y'all, right? Right? So it wasn't like I was going for like three years, like it was eight weeks, okay? But I felt like that was like three years because I just really loved those church family. When I say I love you, I'm not just saying that, I really mean it. Those of you who call the well home, I have an affection that I feel like God, God has placed inside and there's this fellowship that happens. You encourage my faith. And so I remember Sunday, we just started a new covenant community class and I was all hype after church and I went home and I was like, what am I gonna do for eight weeks? And I remember Monday morning, I woke up a little bit late because I'm like, hey, it's, it's my sabbatical. I might as well sleep in, right? And I walked outside, and when I walked outside, there was this box with, like, all of these goodies. And somebody leaked my schedule to all of the community groups so that they knew what me and my wife and family were doing each week. And so that week, there was some travel, so they had, like, these snacks for the kids and the car and these, like, car road games, which, hallelujah, bless the Lord, saved our lives. <laughs> but within that, there was uh, these, like, letters, right? And so I remember, like, grabbing one of the letters and reading, hey, dear Natalie, and about how much she had blessed the family of God. And I remember pulling out two Tory. And it was talking about how helpful it was that I was their pastor and serving their soul. And and as I began to read all these letters, I realized that there was this community group that literally wrote me like 17 letters from the CG. And it meant something. And then the next week, I realized that there was another gift. I thought it was a one-time gift. This one had all these gift cards and and summer passes to to the, the, the water park back when you could do those sorts of things, right? And all these letters, once again, and there was all of these encouragements about what God had done. And literally, over the course of my sabbatical, there was all these letters. And look, y'all may not know this about me, my love language is physical touch. I was on sabbatical, so there could be no hugs, right? My second love language is words of affirmation. And when I read all of these words of affirmation, there was something unifying about that because people were fighting for me at that point. And throughout the letters, there was so much of people telling me how I had fought for them, now they wanna fight for me as well, and I came back and it made me want to be together with the people of God again. And the greatest thing about that was one time, halfway through sabbatical, I was talking to my daughter And there was another gift and she was involved in it. And we were like, do you know where this came from? And she was like, yeah, our church. I said, that's right. I said, do you you like our church? She said, I love our church. I love our church. Can we go back? I was like, "I, I wanna go back too, but I can't do that right now, right? And there was all this affection. And then she said, man, I always wanna be in the church. And I thought about how many pastor's kids grew up with all of these wounds because the church holds them to the standards of Jesus rather than pointing them to Jesus. And I realized that our church body didn't do that. They were not just fighting for me, they were fighting for our family. And because of that fellowship, you may have won a sister in Christ forever because to date she still talks about it. Amen, yes. This is a small example of what it can mean In our stories at the well that came out this week, I saw one CG that threw a baby shower for somebody they had never even met in person yet, but just welcoming them into the family of God, and on and on and on we can go. And for the past couple of weeks, I have felt my soul healing, y'all. Literally, I sat there and I wept last week as I was just singing the praises of God, and as I was hearing y'all sing the praises of God, I wept. And there was a healing that was happening that I didn't even realize my soul needed, but then I thought about it and I thought, duh, this is what we need. We need the fellowship with one another. Our souls come alive at this moment. There's this deep, intimate connection that happens with the people of God. And then after last week, I met somebody who said, man, I'm brand new, but I sat next to somebody, they invited me into their community group, they invited me into their serving team, they invited me to go to dinner, and I'm invited in everything. Keep doing that, y'all. That is good, yes, because we are the family of God together. There's something beautiful that happens when the saints of God gather together, and do you know who models this most clearly for us? It's our precious, beautiful, true temple and great friend, Jesus. He's the one that models this fully. In fact, if you go back and look at verses two through three again, you'll see that our true king modeled something beautiful for us. You see all these images and analogies of things running down, it says, or or flowing down, falling down, coming down. If you have your Bibles, you should see that. And without getting too deep into this, but it should be pretty natural for us, what else flows down from the mountain of God? The blood of Christ. You see, the blood of Jesus is the greater anointing oil. As the oil flowed down Aaron's face, so our greater high priest, King Jesus, blood flowed down his face and anointed us. You see, rather than the oil that blesses and honors, it was the blood and the tree that dishonored. And yet, this was more unifying than any anointing oil ever could be, drawing together an even greater family, a diverse family from every tongue, tribe, and nation, a a true orchestra of God that highlighted the beauty of God. And instead of being on Hermon, where the water flowed down, it was on Golgotha, where the blood and water flowed out of his side and down on the mountain onto us, heaven came. Down And the man that was disunified for a moment is the true unifier so that now we can have fellowship with our God and with each other forever, family of God. (laughs) Praise God that you might have it forever. And so let us, in light of this fight for fellowship with one another, amen, let us fight for the very thing that Jesus bled and died for. He bled and died to unite a diverse body to himself. Let's fight for it. Let's be serious about this. Tony Merida, I want to end with this. He's a a pastor, author, biblical commentator. He says this. He says this, Psalm 133, image, conveys a spirit of joy that exists among God's people who dwell in unity. To live together in spiritual oneness and fellowship, worship, and mission is a rich blessing. It's refreshing and energizing to the people. And it's a pleasant aroma to God. Hallelujah. Unity blesses the entire body. It has a pervasive effect. In the New Testament, through Jesus Christ, our great high priest, we share in the priesthood of all believers what a blessing it is to enjoy the unity Christ Christ has established. As believers in Jesus, we don't create unity. He created it. We simply maintain it. And when our unit or when our established unity in the gospel becomes an experienced unity and our cultivating and maintaining it, it is a sweet, pleasant, and refreshing aroma, should be what it says there. Let us fight to bless others here. We show this unity in singing together. We show this unity in communion that we're about to take in a moment. We show this unity in serving Christ and through that blessing his people. And there's something beautiful that happens. I could go on and on and on about what that unity has meant for me. Even this week as the Derek Chauvin trial ended, there was something that this church body brought to me that I would have never experienced in other places. Healing, unity, as I, as I wept these weird tears of joy and yet sorrow and, and what is happening, there's something that happens with the people of God. As there was, yet again, other complications as the people of God surrounded me, there's something about this, y'all. And so do not neglect the gathering of God's people. Your soul is not a stretch to say it needs it. And it's not a stretch to say God demands it because he demands your good and this is your good. I love you guys like crazy. Let's pray. Hmm. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for the beauty and the goodness and the majesty and the wonder and the awe of who you are. The all of what you do, that you can be shown clearly amongst us, around us. And so, Father, I pray for us today. I pray that we would not neglect the gathering together. I pray that as we continue to fight for this together, that we would see it more and more clearly, God, that we would uh, reintroduce the fellowship of the saints that does the nurturing of our soul. Would you do that even today? In fact, God, I pray that we would sing today. Here in a moment, as we take communion together and as we lift up our voices, would we sing? And would the singing of songs be to the nurturing of our souls? Would it be to the edification of our bodies? Would we hear our brothers and sisters and would it be like an orchestra, like Psalm 133 says, that literally heals us? I pray for that, I pray for healing in here today. That for those of us who have wounds from from different things, would you begin this healing work? In fact, as we go through Psalm 23, the next several weeks as a church, would you even begin the work today? The brothers in unity, the sisters in unity, the family of God, would there be something beautiful that happens? We love you, Jesus. We praise things in your beautiful name. Amen.